Thanks for checking out the Tennessee Holler Podcast, the flagship podcast of the Tennessee Holler Podcast Network. Subscribe to and support the Holler at www.tnholler.com to help us fearlessly yell the truth about Tennessee. And be sure to subscribe to the growing family of Holler Podcasts while you're there. You can also follow the Holler on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at the TN Holler. Welcome back to another special edition of Tennessee Holler Facebook Live because we're going to be talking about the special session, which was not all that special, honestly, if we're being honest. Uh, <laughs> today not a special we're, session. Not a special session. Today we're uh, we're gonna we have a real live state senator here with us, Senator Yarbrough. Before we get started, I just want to tell you that you can find us at tnholler.com at the tnholler on Twitter and Facebook. You can also follow all the hollers at Knoxville Holler, Memphis Holler, Chattanooga Holler, Tri Cities, Cookville and murfreesboro so definitely check all of those out and let people know about those if you know people in the area we can expand right now because of you you have all been so supportive so thank you all for doing that chip in if you can chip in to candidates first but if you got a few bucks left over it helps us too senator yarborough how are you doing today my friend doing great justin how are you i've been better i mean you know every no, every I- every <laughs> Be, the fact that I'm not in the Tennessee Capitol today debating an unconstitutional piece of legislation means like it's not the worst day of my week. Right. So the good news is you guys are not in session anymore, so you can't do any more damage. Uh, why don't we just give a recap real quick? I mean, there were a few things. What did you guys come together to get done this week? Well, I mean, I think that the the first big problem with the special session is just what it was limited to. So the governor under our constitution has the authority to issue a call to bring the legislature back in, into session, but he can limit us to only legislating on certain things. And see, the only stuff that we were allowed to talk about was limiting liability related to COVID, was telehealth and telemedicine, and the what is should only be seen as ironic at this point, the protection of peaceful protest including, you know, prosecution related to, uh, you know, certain first responders. Republicans love to name things what they aren't. Right. Marsha Blackburn is the queen of that. Like if she's telling you it's protecting the Internet, it's attacking the Internet. So same thing with this. If they tell you it's protecting protesters, they're attacking protesters. Well, that was certainly the case this week. And, you know, uh, they you know, people kept trying to say like, this has, you know, this is about people who are committing violence, but we basically just disproved that. And the, you know, people that are committing violence, it turns out that we've had criminal laws on the books for decades and there's ways to prosecute them and ways to, to make sure that if somebody's burning down a building or, you know, attacking a police officer or destroying property, like the law already provides some protection there. What the law was frustrating them is they wanted to be able to not just arrest protesters to make, but to make sure they couldn't come back and to arrest them for serious enough offenses that it would be a disincentive for people to actually show up and exercise their first amendment rights. 
Right. So they were upset that protesters had been outside the Capitol for 60 plus days and they weren't able to do anything about it. They had arrested, especially Justin Jones, repeatedly uh, seven times, I think. And they wanted to be able to do more to these protesters. So what did they do exactly? And what was the bill initially? And what did it turn into? Because I know you on the Senate side initially passed something that got more aggressive. So, well, I mean, it it had a few changes throughout the week. It's frankly one of the more complicated criminal justice bills that the legislature's, uh, you know, considered in the last probably decade, which is pathetic given the, you know, the context. But so they had originally planned on making uh, the attorney general capable of coming in and overruling local prosecution decisions. That was a bridge too far for even them. And that actually got pulled out of the bill. But what's in the legislation still includes a, you know, a ton of new fines and penalties, several new offenses, and then it, it escalates uh, what the offenses are. The biggest difference between the version that was originally passed in the Senate and the one that got passed in the House is how it treated this kind of so-called camping, right? Which is exactly what the protesters are doing right now, right? Like, and they're not, it's right now, it's illegal to camp. And so they're not actually putting out sleeping bags to sleep in, but they are physically occupying the space, putting up tents, sort of demonstrating we are here and we're going to stay here. Uh, that's the statement that they're making. And we we basically wanted to enhance the criminal penalties for that. But the Senate was just going to make that a misdemeanor that was punishable by 50 hours of community service. The House version made camping on state property a class E felony, which is subject to one to six years in prison and a $3,000 fine and leads to people losing their voting rights. And, you know, for a lot of people not being able to get a job. I mean, it's a felony record is a, is a big deal in someone's life. And they're now trying to threaten people who are indisputably engaged in peaceful activity uh, with uh, committing a felony that's more, uh, more serious than domestic abuse, than lots of other really heinous crimes. Uh, just because they don't, these protesters are getting under their skin. So on your side of things, Senator John Stevens was sort of the one that was carrying it. And he stood up and equated camping to violent crime, essentially. And he would, he said repeatedly that they wanted to overthrow our government, that they want to do uh, basically create anarchy, tyranny, you know, that they want to not participate, that they're keeping people out of the plaza, which is not true at all. I've been down there. If Second Amendment protesters wanted to come down there with their assault rifles, they would have no problem with that, you know? So so Stevens is standing there essentially lying about these people. Is that something that happens commonly on the floor, that they can actually just say these things that have no basis in reality and get away with that? Well, I mean, I think that this is a, this was sort of an excessive use of that. Uh, I mean, 
you know, uh, obvious, uh, I don't, I don't think that you, you, you need to be a constitutional scholar to know that there's, there's nothing that actually prohibits uh, politicians from lying on the floor, <laughs> but, um, uh, but, but it, it should be frowned upon and it, and it also shouldn't like people should be very careful not to say things that are just demonstrably wrong. And I think that what they were talking about, I mean, it just didn't respond to what's going on in the state of Tennessee right now in any way. This was about what's going on in the Fox News state of mind way more than anything that's happening in the state of Tennessee. That's really well said and true. They've created this world in which everything is under attack. Antifa is a bigger threat than white supremacists. You know, they've created these monsters in their heads and bought into the narratives. And in some ways, I almost feel like they actually do believe these things and they feel like, you know, yeah. our way. He kept saying our, you know, I guess that's one thing I want to fixate on for a second. When they say our, like, for instance, they said, you know, they're coming after our idea of civil society. Well, I would say that that's actually true, that their idea of a civil society is not necessarily my idea of a civil society and certainly not the protesters idea of a civil right. society when you have a KKK grand wizard bust in the Capitol and all of these things. So when he says our like, who do you think that they are talking about? Who is it that they include in their tent? Well, you know, I mean, I think it's it's more important to like who they're who they're who they say is not part of the tent, and the fact that anybody's not, right? The that's not a choice that we get to make as the elected representatives of the state. Like our constitution couldn't be clearer that the power is belongs to people, right? Like there's nothing special about governors, senators, representatives. Um, except for the fact that the only thing that, that gives us the ability to, to you know, do act with any authority is the authority that we're given by people. That's it. That's the end of the story. And, you know, one of the things that really drove me crazy this week is sort of the kind of like, you know, weird uh, money morning quarterbacking of like, well, if, if, they, if they didn't want these excessive laws, they shouldn't have been, you know, as aggressive, you know, with the legislators. I mean, th that to me is absurd, right? Like, you know, there is nothing that makes any constituent or voter or citizen have any obligation to be polite, right? You know, I mean, that that is not how this works. Uh, I mean, our job is to make sure the law protects people that we agree with just as much as it protects people we disagree with. And and frankly, the law is supposed to exist so that if people think that what the decisions we're making are wrong, they're supposed to tell us that those are wrong. They're supposed to get our attention. They're supposed to protest. They're supposed to, frankly, get in our face and try to make us see the world a little differently. And um, I think it's really sad that people don't see that as what the what frankly is all of our system of government like that is you know the bigger collective our civil society is that we can't we're supposed to be a place where you can fight about what you know how policing is done how government should work without putting people in jail or without coming to violence 
You tweeted this week, you said, well, camping on state property will now lead to a felony punished by a range of one to six years in prison and up to $3,000 and a bonus penalty for exercising your protest rights in an unapproved manner. You lose your voting rights. That part was especially ugly that they came after the voting rights. And Tequila Johnson of the Equity Alliance said, a young group of young protesters who have slept outside for 60 days meeting, wanted to meet with the governor. He responded by making it a felony to sleep outside the Capitol. What in the Jim Crow is going on? Right. Senator Governor Lee, he's this guy that, you know, everybody said was this nice guy. You know, he tries to act like this nice guy. But what he did this week, this is really not nice at all. This is vicious. And yeah. spending over a million dollars on troopers to guard basically his ego, keep people out of a public plaza. What's your take on how Governor Lee has handled himself through all this? You know, I mean, I think that there's just been an a, a absence of leadership from the governor, a, a total and complete void on that. And, you know, the governor was the one person in the state that probably could have ended these protests you know, a week after they started, all he had to do was to, you know, try to arrange some type of like actual person person meeting and talk to the protesters about what that what they're there to talk about. I mean, you know, I, I, it's not like I only meet with people that agree with me. I meet with people who have radically different opinions than I do about guns or abortion or gay rights or vaccines or healthcare or anything else. I mean, every day, because that's my job, right? I mean, like the job is to make sure that you can actually talk to these people. And I mean, I've been over to the protests as have you, as have a lot of people that I know. Uh, I mean, the notion that like that, that he is in any danger or that the capital is going to, to fall because there's 50, you know, young people, you know, with signs and chalk and tents is, is just ridiculous. And I mean, I think if he had, had had the guts to just, you know, go have a difficult conversation with somebody, then all of this could have been avoided. Instead, you know, Tennessee's becoming a, you know, sort of a, a, a laughing stock for this dramatic overreaction to uh, a peaceful protest. And, and people should realize that his predecessors have had those conversations. Uh, Beth Harwell had the conversation with these protesters about the KKK bust. Uh, Glenn Cassidy did not, but Haslam certainly Haslam had some, absolutely did. Yeah. Haslam okay. had tough conversations. The, the day after or sort of the week following the shooting in South Carolina was one, it was the first, like I remember being with, uh, uh, some of the people who were protesting the forest bus in the Capitol that week and governor Haslam at that moment, I mean that he was not pleased to have people sitting down outside of his office, but he also figured out a way to meet with representatives to talk through the issues and to try to in that, end that protest. And then, you know, within five or six days, he announced his public position, you know, acknowledging that the protesters raised a good point and agreeing with them. Like, that's how you do this. That's how people have dealt with, you know, a protest since the dawn of time. And you don't even have to change your mind. You can just meet with them and and, and have a hold a different opinion. But you at least should have the courage to have your ideas challenged. 
if you're not willing to sit in a room and and let someone tell you that you're wrong, then like maybe government's not the right line of business for you. I think that's a really well put. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's about making them feel heard. Right. And when they don't feel heard, that's when things go wrong. MLK said, riot is the language of the unheard. He chose those words carefully and for a reason. And so now you're going to threaten to take away their voting rights. You're taking away yet another way they make themselves feel heard. They are starting to invite violence. They're starting to incite it and invite it. You had Faison, the Republican House caucus chair, outside the Capitol putting Trump banners down saying honk for Trump, which I think is illegal, by I'm the way. I'm sure that's illegal under yeah. the law that we just passed. That is illegal already. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's a little hatch act violation of some oh, sort, well, right. you know, but uh, it's, now, it's now a different crime under Tennessee law. Oh, so it's two, it's multiple crimes, right? but I mean, it's the exact wrong way to handle this. If what you're looking for is de-escalation. So I wonder, Senator, do they even want de-escalation or is there a world where they are actually trying to incite this and inflame this because maybe they gain something political out of it? or more so? Well, if they wanted to de-escalate it, I think they've had 65 days and ample opportunity to really make some effort to do so. And, um, you know, and I, I think that they, for whatever reason, whether, whether he personally didn't want to do it, whether he thought it would upset the Republicans that he works with in the legislature, or whether, you know, what I can't get inside the governor's head on this, but the governor unquestionably had numerous opportunities where he could have, have stepped in to de-escalate this situation. And frankly, just to make sure that somebody who, I mean, you know, say what you will about the folks, they are committed to expressing their opposition to certain policies that the state of Tennessee has. I, like I don't, I can't imagine why we wouldn't wouldn't agree to meet with people who have demonstrate that commitment. I, I mean, you know, like I, I I'm not, you know, I don't tend to join protests from the left or the right, you know, because you know, as a as a as a member, but but I will go meet with protesters from any side, you know, like I don't think that um, I'm happy, like I. I, what what's so jarring about this is, you know, the modern Republican Party in Tennessee in large ways can track its kind of, you know, creation moment back to the 2001, uh, you know, protest at the Tennessee Capitol, which, you know, frankly, were far more violent than these. Those protests indisputably led to broken windows inside the Capitol complex. And you know, but like, that's the starting point for the career of like Steve Gill and Marsha Blackburn and these sort of luminaries in the, in the Republican party. And while I wouldn't have agreed with what they were doing, I would by God protect their damn right to do it. Right. You know, like that, that I mean, not to break the windows. That's too far. If you break yeah. a window, like you should, yeah, you should know that you're probably going to get arrested. But, but just because somebody is supportive of a protest that might occasionally 
you know, like have have you know ancillary elements that 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 go in that direction is no reason to bring them all into criminal penalty. You know, I mean, my I was so touched this week that I had you know my colleagues on the Senate floor who I thought were all remarkably eloquent in in expressing what was so wrong about this law, and uh, Senator Ackberry, you know, stood up and said, you know one of the things that we made illegal in this was blocking a public roadway. You know, we literally just celebrated John Lewis walking across the Edmund Pettus bridge. Wow. And, you know, was that wow. And how quickly I flashed that. Yeah. It was wow. (laughs) How quick you are on the visual aid there. I mean, we literally just were, there's a discussion underway to rename the Edmund Pettus bridge after John Lewis. But what we just passed would make someone who walked across a bridge in Tennessee today, they would be committing uh, a brand new offense that is newly illegal and subject to new penalties and fines. Right. I mean, if you just have like the slightest inclination to history, what we're doing right now is exactly the playbook that was followed during the civil rights movement. You know, we are amping up the penalties, amping up the holding time, amping up the bonds to make it harder for people to call out injustice. And that, you know, when a government is scared to listen, you got problems. And that's the problem that we got right now is, uh, you know, whether it's the people with the message or the message that are trying to deliver, uh, the legislature this week sent a clear, you know, signal that they are not interested in hearing from those people on that message. And that's gross. It is really gross. Uh, I think that's really well said. And I, I did want to point out that on the other side, Rep. DeBerry stood up and defended this and he invoked John Lewis and the civil rights marches to defend this bill, which was so mind blowing. It was really hard to wrap your heads around. And you mentioned John Lewis. I flashed what I flashed is a mugshot, which I think is a reminder that they say, oh, just obey the law and everything will be fine. Well, no, sometimes there are some laws that you have to push back against, like, for instance, not being able to sit at a lunch counter or perhaps blocking the roadway sometimes. And so that's a a reminder of that. And then, you know, the thing that I think was accomplished in in large part in Selma with these peaceful protests, which I think was also accomplished by the plaza protesters is they, they knew they weren't going to get what they were had come for, but what they did was expose these legislators and their hearts and right. show it to the world. They essentially ripped out Governor Lee's heart and, and William Lambert's heart and, and showed it to us and said, look what they'll do. And in that way, those protests were deeply effective and worked like a charm. And so now we've seen how low they'll go. And now it's up to us as a society to show right. up and turn out and vote and actually change our leadership. So these things will continue to happen as long as we continue to be a non-voting state, which is what we are. We're not a red state. We're a non-voting state. Uh, that's, that is, that's exactly right. And, you know, I mean, there, there is this sanitized history of the civil rights movement. I mean, you almost see it every, uh, you know, every Martin Luther King day where, 
you know, everybody on all sides of the aisle, you know, pulls out a quote from Martin Luther King Jr. and, you know, celebrate his near founding father status. But, you know, just because their protest was nonviolent does not mean that it was not disruptive. Just because their protest was peaceful did not mean that it was entirely lawful. Uh, I mean, they were engaged in what they knew to be civil disobedience, challenging unjust laws. Good trouble, as this person says. Like a, by God, yes, as that the the commenter said, like that is um, about as American as you can get. Like that's how the revolution started, right? Like we did, we, you know, the, 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 you know, the, the slavery was the law. Not exactly, you know, following the rules and expressing their opinions politely. They were standing up against what they thought was an injustice. And, you know, if you look back at just the newspaper coverage from when John Lewis started in Nashville, that was it, it was if you compared it to the language that you heard this week, it was almost the exact same thing. They, they would just they would say, well, we understand that people want to protest, but they they have to abide by the laws and they we shouldn't have these outside instigators who are coming in and stirring up trouble and trying to advocate for violent revolution and. You know, I mean, when we integrated schools in Nashville, people held up signs saying it was Marxism and communism. Like the same attacks that get thrown out this week are always thrown out whenever there's a protest. Absolutely. So I guess my next question, you're a lawyer. What happens next? Anything? Well, you know, I don't I don't know. Um, I, I have not talked to anyone yet who's, you know, with, with an organization about you know, I mean, I'm sure that there are organizations that are looking at this law uh, that are going to see if there are ways to challenge it. Um, the law, if it gets, you know, I assume it's going to be signed by the governor. And if it gets implemented and someone is arrested, it could actually arise that way. Right. So you can challenge the constitutionality of, a, of your felony conviction based on, you know, after the state's done it. Or you could see somebody try to do a lawsuit ahead of time to sort of to enjoin the state from ever trying to implement this law. And I, I, I'm not going to going to claim to be enough of a first first amendment scholar to tell you exactly how that works, but it didn't look right to me. (laughs) Yeah. Um, The, especially when they start talking about like, no, we're coming for your voting rights. Like that's what we're doing here. Like they're openly admitting that. Right. Like there was no question on that floor that, these laws were being passed to stop a particular expression being made by a particular group in a, in a very specific place across the street. And that we wanted to not just stop the protest, but to punish the protesters and stop them from being able to continue to contribute to like our, to our political life. Right. I mean, that, that really is one of the, um, you know that that was one of the most uh, offensive things that I've that I've yet to hear on in in my time in the Tennessee legislature, and that's not necessarily a low bar. <laughs> no, it's not a low bar at all. Uh, Jason Hodges said he pointed out the discrepancy between how protesters, white protesters with AR-15s, are treated versus how black kids with signs are treated, and that got shared. And watched, oh, I think 
probably a million times on Twitter now, the clip that we posted of that. I wanted to show you one other thing. I'm not entirely sure if this is a new phenomenon here, but just but I think it's a, a harbinger of things that we're going to see pretty soon here. This is today across the street from the Capitol, a homeless man being told that he can't lie down. Well, yeah, I mean, that that's the, the, I mean, the thing that we haven't really talked about is this obviously is going after protesters, but it has huge collateral damage. You know, as you can see here, um, you know, that guy's not doing any, anybody, any harm right now. And last week that probably wouldn't have been stopped, but now basically because they're trying to figure out a way to make, to make this, you know, not seem like it's just about protesters that are going to, you know, have to enforce it against the home, you know, the people who are experiencing homelessness as well. And it's just, it's just not what anybody really wants to see, but like, we all know this is going to be arbitrary as all hell. I mean, you know, if you've ever been to a game at, at the university of Tennessee at Knoxville, you'll see that there are occasionally people that put up tents and bring their, you know, RVs and they like, they camp out on public property. Like, is that now like, and those are not designated parking areas. Is that now a felony in Tennessee? Can like, to, can I get a better tailgating spot? If I go, if I find a, find a police officer to ask them to to leave. I mean, it, the whole thing is just, it's absurd. And, you know, state property is not just the capital, you know, the the state of Tennessee owns like nine or 10% of the land mass in the whole state and state property is all over the place. And so, I mean, think about all these college campuses. Um, like if you're like, have you, you know, people, you can't have a tent up at night. You can't, you know, I mean, there are lots of things that people have done that unquestionably violate this law that, are entirely unintended consequences where this could just come back to bite people. Well, there was an incident earlier this week. Uh, a trooper came over and got in the face of someone who was filming a traffic stop and he ended up ripping that guy's mask off for no reason. And I bring that up to just point out like what this law really does is it gives troopers free reign to do whatever they'd like. And I'm not saying all troopers are bad, but there are people like that who will abuse this power. And they have just been given the power to really ruin someone's life for something very, very simple. And we have yet to see how this will play out in the courts, but there is no reasonable person that could ask young people in this state to just trust the system at this point and right. trust that this is going to be carried out in a fair and just way. And when you have troopers accosting and ripping masks off people's faces for no reason, and now they can slap them with a felony for saying that they were sleeping in, it's just a mess, man. Right. No, it's, uh, so here's the problem. Like, so the, the other really big part of this law that lets you know that is absolutely about uh, ending a protest is that we created a 12 hour mandatory hold for anyone that commits these protest related offenses. Like, like we don't have a 12 hour mandatory hold for homicide offenses or sexual assault offenses or robbery. 
Like the, the only narrow exception to that is for domestic violence where there is a limited 12 hour hold that, that is in place, you know, that followed a very public homicide several years ago. But now we've added eight more offenses where even if you're arrested and they can't prove their case, even if there's not probable cause to do the arrest, like they can be arrested and they have to be held for 12 hours, even if the police officer screwed up or the troopers in, in your hypothetical. And that's an invitation to not follow the rules. I mean, that's what it is. Like that's how it operates. It encourages, you know, uh, law enforcement to err on the side of over arresting because they'll still be able to clear the area, even if they don't have a, a, a legal basis to do it. And like, I know a ton of the troopers over there and there are many, many good people. Like, you know, I don't think that there's not the, you know, there's sort of a widespread hostility to, to humans in there, but there's always a problem when you give someone the authority to break the rules, right? I mean, you give someone the authority to break the rules, um, that, that it's an, it's an invitation for, for a mess. And, um, you know, especially given the orders that are clearly coming out of the Capitol through the chain of command, you know, I, I mean, I really do worry that it that it can lead to lead to bigger problems than it solves. Well, we're going to see this play out. This is Governor Lee, uh, the felony camping. He was at his press conference earlier. He didn't have good answers for the questions being asked. He said he had some trouble with the wording, but he'll sign it anyway. So, you know, at the end of the day, that's really all that matters. This is a little graphic we made that says, except in Tennessee. And uh, I know it's funny, but it's also really not funny what's going no. on here. Just as a final sign off here, Senator, yeah. uh, you know, what do you want to leave people with? I know you guys are off out of session until next year. Now there's a lot of races. Uh, obviously November is a big deal in a lot of different ways. So, you know, what do you want to leave people with and what do you, how, how can people help? Well, you know, I think what's, if the last, if you haven't learned anything else in the last four years, you need to remember that democracy is not something we can watch from home, right? Like that doesn't mean that you have to be joining with the protesters uh, per se, but you need to find some place where you are actively involved in uh, making democracy happen. You know, stand with protesters, help on a, on a policy issue, find a campaign that's trying to hold somebody accountable and volunteer for them, write a check, vote, help people vote, sign up to be a poll worker. You know, this is something, you know, democracy is having a, a bit of, bit of trouble right now. Uh, I mean, hell, we can't even, we can't even talk about fixing the post office, right? Because the president thinks it's going to help him win an election. So, I mean, we really are at a time when democracy is very much being, you know, threatened. And the right answer to that is not to threaten the people who are threatening, threatening it. It's to make sure that you're protecting and participating in democracy. Like it's not to come back and be just as crazy as they are. It is to come back and insist that 
like these, the constitution and laws matter. Mm-hmm. That democracy matters. That what pe- that people's voices are supposed to get expressed, and to and to by God be willing to fight for that. Right? I mean, like we are we are a country because people are willing to go to war and die for that. We, you know, uh, slaves were free because people were willing to, to to go to war on that. Like we can we can go and volunteer to be a poll worker. <laughs> we we can we can do some of those more. You know the things that we're being asked to do to make sure democracy happens are far less extreme than what our, uh, our predecessors have been asked to do. And, but, uh, but it's time for us to step up and do it. Yeah. Democracy is not a spectator sport. This was, I thought a really good post office thing that they put out. It says snow, rain, heat, night, fascism, nothing stops the mail. I really hope that ends up being true here. That is, that is definitely under threat and it's a big deal. I hope everybody votes early to try to thwart that threat. I think that's something that we all need to try to do, but you're right. Democracy is not a spectator sport. We need to get up and get involved. People need to run for office and we need more people like yourself in there fighting the good fight. So Senator, thank you for what you're doing. Uh, I also want to say thank you to the protesters who were out there doing that as long as they were. They have come in from the cold or the warmth now, but they said thank you again. And remember, the plaza belongs to the people. They were out there for 62 straight days. That is a Herculean effort. And they exposed this Tennessee supermajority, Republican supermajority, and Governor Lee for who they really are. And for that, they deserve a lot of credit. Senator, thank you. And, uh, Definitely come back and talk to us soon as things progress. All right. Thanks, Justin. Thanks everybody tuning in and uh, stay safe, but don't stay, don't stay at home completely. Get out there and make democracy work. I agree. All right. Thank you, sir.